Welcome, everyone. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a show this week. We are doing a look at Avatar, the last airbender franchise. Uh, the reason that we are looking at this this week, Korra, The Legend of Korra on Netflix uh, in the top 10. It's all the way up to number two. And it is a franchise that if you're not ac accompanied with it, it's a franchise you've more than certainly heard of. And it has some staying power. And we thought it was really worth looking at where this thing came from and what all of the sources that went into developing it. So if, if you don't know anything about Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, really quickly... Uh, <laughs> the premise, the premise being yeah. the story of Aang, a young boy with powers to bend the elements, who is called to bring order to a war-torn world. There was quite a bit to it. One of the creators, Brian, called it, quote, an epic Asian martial arts fantasy action adventure comedy drama series about the four elements. And then he says it isn't easy to fit it all yes. into one sentence. And like Evan said, it is taking from a lot of literature, historical, cultural, million different influences which is what makes so each it so element, unique. Each element has a, an entire bending culture around it specifically. So you'll have different types of benders that do specific, like the, an earth bender, water bender, fire bender, air bender. And, most, and everybody has their one thing that they are. That's why the Avatar is special, because they are a master of all four elements. That is kind of the, the story here is a, uh, a young boy has to become, master all of these elements to become the Avatar to, to bring balance to you know, goodness to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Balance to the force, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like you said, massively popular, came out on Nickelodeon, so that it is a children's series. Yes, this is series. a children's cartoon. Um, it is ge geared towards children, but as we'll see, it is very, very advanced and does not pander to children, which is what makes it half of the people that come to the conventions are adults dressed right. up like, the, you know, because it appeals to everybody. So only three seasons, which I thought was awesome, from 2005 to 2008. I've uh, I've seen this recently. I didn't see it at the time. I saw it about two or three years ago with my fiance. It's actually her favorite franchise of all time. She has a tattoo of on her back. She knows everything about this. She couldn't be more excited that we were doing this this week. I really have a lot of respect for this thing on a storytelling level. By the time you get to the end of the third season, you realize how how masterfully precise this is to get you to the specific moment. This is no series where they are making it up as they go, and yeah. they stuck to their guns. And then the sequel is a very, very, very different sequel, and which and we'll we get, get to at the end later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The show itself was available to stream on Netflix in May of this year. And then it holds the record for Netflix for having the longest consecutive appearances on that new top 10 list that they started oh, in the man. spring. It was on it for 60 straight days. Oh, my gosh. And then The Legend of Korra was just released this past week on Netflix, and that's going to be in the top 10 for a while, I imagine. Yeah, that debuted in the top 10. It's already in number two. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to number one. And this is all happening under the umbrella of about a three or four year deal with Netflix overall, the licensing agreement with this and, and Nickelodeon, that the original creators were going to come back and do a live action adaptation series for Netflix. This, the but, news yeah. this week is that well that we'll see what it, we'll see what happens with okay that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> but let's talk about these guys who created it why they're so esteemed and what like we said what they've cobbled together to make this happen so yeah. two guys uh mike and brian they both met in 1995 they went to college at risd which is the rhode island school of design uh, for animation and whatnot mm. they worked on each other's student films 
They were saying at the time, the stuff that anime had left a bad taste in their mouth, at least as their friends were showing it to them, because a lot of stuff is either incredibly misogynistic or just Mm. bleak. Like they'd Mm -hmm. show them a clip and it's like, oh, look at this guy punching somebody's head off. And it's like, well, that's not, they're like, that doesn't, why is that cool? That's just gross or weird. Yeah. And that's honestly probably a lot of people's perception of Mm. anime is something obscene and obscure for its own sake. It's always been a bridge apart for me. So this was not something at the time in 2008. I mean, I'm thinking, well, nah, I'm kind of growing out of this stuff. And it's so interesting. I've noticed that as you get into this, that that more elements of classic anime uh, animation are are really seeping into it. It's kind Mm -hmm. of a, it's it's almost like a beginner's course. If you want to introduce or open up a kid or somebody who's not really familiar with that kind of stuff, this could be a kind of a good starter to get you headed down that direction. Well, exactly. Or if you, yeah, if you only ever seen spongebob it's like well here's something that looks right right feels is completely different Mm -hmm. so mike graduates first and now he's out in la he actually got a job doing character designs for family guy and he gets brian a foot in the door and they start working on other shows they work on king of the hill mission hill mike ends up taking a second to make an independent short but he's still doing his day job in regular sitcom cartoon animation Mm -hmm. Brian, however, flips to Nickelodeon and becomes the art director for Invader Zim, which is a very famous cult classic show. And over these few years, as they're out in L.A., they have different styles and almost different personalities. Like Brian talks. If you look at these interviews, he's the one talking the whole time. And Mike is just sort of nodding. Um, (laughs) But they make mention (laughs) of that as well. Like they're just completely different in that way, but great Mm -hmm. teammates for that reason. So they decide, hey, we want to do something together. So they're kind of throwing around this idea of a maybe a coming-of-age show animation, of course, based on their time as they were kids and played in the woods, something mm, around that idea. Okay. We get to the point where Invader Zim gets canceled. So Brian says, right. well, this the obstacle is the way. This is perfect. I'll float around with no job until we get our thing off the ground. We'll try to pitch it, whatever that will be. And then right. when I run out of money, if it doesn't work out, I'll do something. So Brian, since he's worked at Nickelodeon, knows the executive development guy, Eric Coleman, And so the day before he leaves, he asks about pitching. He said, it's a great meeting. They just talked for two hours, just about tone, heart, working with Mm. good people. Like he's not a typical, he's not even telling him what he wants to work on. He's just like, hey, this is the stuff that we're looking for. And they're in a general meeting collecting on their their ideas. And he's like, they're vibing. Yeah, get their vibing. vibing. (laughs) And he's like, get the people together and the great ideas will follow. So he's very Mm -hmm, encouraging mm -hmm. in the sense of like, we want you to subscribe to that, my friend. Keep pitching to us until we get the show made. So he's just like not giving him a free pass, but saying like, we want to work with you, but let's, you know, you got to pitch to us. Yeah. But the caveat, he's like, we don't want to do any coming of age shows with normal humans. He's like, Oh God, that's what we've been working on together. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, he's saying, here's what we are looking for though. The things about lore, legends, magic. Also, it has to be from a kid's piece. Yeah. Yeah. And the key thing, it, ha- it this is stupid to say because it's Nickelodeon and it's a kid's show, but it's like it has to be from a kid's POV. You'd be surprised how many people come in pitching something from the perspective of a tax accountant or something. I and think it's, it's like, important. Like They strike such an, a great balance here, it being a kid's show and an action adventure uh, mm-hmm. show. Like There are, there are great sequences of, of action and, and from the fighting, bending with the elements, and, and it straddles just the really delicate line of being just serious enough without going over the line and being and being disturbing or like with star wars where it's like now it's about trade 
trade federations and interplanetary oh, right, politics. Right. It's like, well, this isn't for children. Yeah, they they kind of stay <laughs> out of the. I mean, it goes. It certainly goes to thirty thousand feet in, in in areas, but it's so it's so precise. It's not. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get caught in the weeds of the politics of mm-hmm. Boston say. <laughs> right. But the reason uh, Eric Coleman wants this stuff, let's look at the cultural context. Why it's two thousand two. Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings are the biggest things going on. Right. So this is what they're looking for. So Brian says, cool, we'll be back in a month. He has no idea what they're going to come back in a month with. So right. now we come to the story of the pitch. What are they going to do? Mm. They ha- So they spend two weeks puzzling over drawing sketches because they're animators, artists at heart. So they're bringing yeah. all their old sketches, all their old ideas. Oh, Brian, Can you imagine those two weeks? Yeah, <laughs> we got it. Okay, man, here we go. Just like every, all nighters every night. I mean, for real, just like yeah. workshopping every beat you can possibly work out of yourself here. Just, or just throwing any, up on the wall. Is this yeah. crazy? Well, no, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So they start out with nothing. You know, one of the drawings that catches their eye is he drew these three characters together. There's a futuristic monkey robot, and he's got a staff, and there's an arrow drawing on his head. Next to him is this bipedal standing up on two legs, war-type polar bear with this army gear. And there's also this old bald man next to them, and they thought maybe it's like a sci-fi trifecta. Right. But they're like, well, there's not even a kid in this. So they changed the old bald man to a kid and put the arrow on his head. Mm. And now it's this kid with an arrow on his head, and he's got the monkey staff, and it's this little monkey and this bipedal polar bear. And they're like, well, maybe that's something. That's the first drawing. Interesting. And then Mike's side of this, which is the weird synthesis, is he had been watching a documentary about Ernest Shackleton's Antarctic expedition. And it was this, it happened in the 1900s. This guy, he got caught in the ice and it was this surviving against all odds, epic adventure story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're just still, time is is crunching because he promised him a pitch. And you don't want to lose the opportunity. We all know that. It's like the iron is hot. This guy's interested. Also, he doesn't have a job, you know, like as long as he takes (laughs) is as long as he's losing money. So I had heard that the creators, one of their parents, you know, they were they were thinking about, okay, I don't know if I'm 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 off of work. I want to do something. Is that a normal thing to feel like? I I don't know if I want to go back to work. I want to invest in myself. And apparently his parents said, you're not married. You don't have a kid. You don't have any ties to anything. If there's any time in your life to just take a risk and try something, right now is the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're between jobs. Uh, we, We can be there for you. But you need to take a risk on yourself. You need to invest in yourself. And now is a perfect time to do it. So at this point, the pieces are still swirling around in the air. Nothing like what we see now. Brian is at a yoga class drenched in sweat. And suddenly it's pulling it together. He's got these ideas. But (laughs) nobody has cell phones then. So he just shows up to Mike's house and explains, oh, what if there was these fire people attacking a water tribe and the idea of the nations start coming together? They're Uh hashing out the story world, the big arcs because they're going to go pitch in two weeks. What actually happens if anybody knows the story, the monkey thing that he drew, the robotic thing, it lost the sci-fi touch, and that becomes Momo, the little flying lemur. And then, of course, the big polar bear thing, the flying bison. Did they reappropriate that? I would love to see that because then the the spiritual replacement in the story for Appa and Korra, her polar bear dog, um, did, is that the same design? Yeah, yeah. So they said, I think in one of these little excerpts that I saw, they're like, we loved the polar bear thing, but maybe we'll find a way to use it with kind of a winky face. So I did gotcha. think that, yeah, but that's Momo and Appa. 
Very so cool. they've hashed all of that out and they go in to pitch it. And Brian even remembers sketching some ideas like an hour before. And with these <laughs> pitch sessions, for those that don't know, it's basically you probably have five, seven minutes, get your idea across short and sweet. You spend a long time preparing. You just have exactly what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. So they have this interview with Eric. They went on and on. They were like, we completely failed the opposite. It was two and a half hours long. <laughs> They're just going into all the minute details. Eric says, well, yeah. <laughs> he's just like, stop. This is all fantastic. He particularly liked the element bending. That's what really sold it as a kid's show because it's Being fighting without. Manipulate the elements. Yeah, it's fighting without violence, without right. the go- like the stuff that, like I said, from the very right. beginning, they were like, we don't like this about animation in this style. Exactly. So. He says, well, we'll, I love it, but we need to make this deal to put it into development. So you have to make a pilot first. So that's part of the deal. You work for several more months. They give them this big, what's called a Bible with all of their ideas, Mm -hmm. much more succinct and put together and the script for an 11 minute pilot. So they say, go Mm -hmm. make the pilot. Oh yeah. So they wanted to make it with Japanese studios, but at this point, the Japanese studios are not wanting to make this thing with them. So they actually go to a studio in Korea and they moved to South Korea for four months to what? make this to what? make this pilot. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no clue about that. Yeah, so this is sixteen-hour days. Obviously, they have the money from Nickelodeon to do it. But I love this quote because he, Brian, said, "This is the time when no one in the world cared about Avatar except us," which is mm-hmm. hard to imagine that in every piece of creation, but they're like, that's a reality at some point. And they're just slaving away in a foreign country, away from their family, into the candlelit hours of the night, trying oh to get it gosh. done. It sounds it sounds like a haul, for mm-hmm. sure. But I mean, it just sounds like a like a whirlwind dream. Uh, I mean, can you <laughs> right. imagine just like willingness out of your own, just uh, gotta, gotta get somewhere with these ideas. I mean, and boom, and now you're in South, I mean, Nobody knows about it. Like he says, I mean, that's an incredible moment as we know it now to be this legitimate juggernaut franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, nobody, nobody's even cognizant of it except for these people in this room <laughs> yeah. on the other side of the earth. Exactly. Um, also keeping in mind, this is just like the process before the process, yeah. before the process. So <laughs> they're just trying to make the thing to show them. So now they've made the 11-minute thing. I found out just this week as a, another piece of relevant news, and I'll post a link to it. They released mm-hmm. this unaired test pilot episode, 11 minutes. They Nickelodeon was do, like doing a Q&A stream on Twitch, and they put out this unaired test pilot Oh, really? They just put out the episode. original test pilot? And yeah, that's yeah, never yeah. been out before. Well, it was on some bonus features on some DVDs or something, uh, I think, okay. but it, was, it wasn't readily available to anyone. Gotcha. Um, Ooh, that's awesome. So now that's on the internet officially. Yeah, I think I've seen, cool. but right before we went on here, the BuzzFeed article was like 11 differences between the original <laughs> Avatar pilot and the one you saw. Yeah, so that's why it's uh, <laughs> that's why it's there. But yeah, it wasn't like the whole story, but it was just like, here's the so- tone of the characters and everything. Kids loved it. So they said, cool, do 13 episodes, but now we have to actually make it. Right. So we're almost at we're almost at the influences that they pulled from, but we have to kind of talk about what makes this different and why it has such a fan following and kind of the yeah. container that they wanted to put in all of these ideas that they were having. Yeah. So the first one is, and you alluded to this at the beginning, a very strong structure. And this is rare for any show, really, the strong stance that this is going to be three seasons. And Brian had said in an interview, he was like, what if somebody came up to you and said, I want to tell you a story. It's the best story in the world. 
and it never ends. He's like, I would turn and walk away. <laughs> like, it, this is what <laughs> this is the story, and this is what it's going to be. That is exactly how I've felt about television for as long as I can remember. I mean, of course, I love great television shows, but the ones that really stick with and the ones that, that I'm like, man, I would love to do something like that are the contained ones. One season, mm-hmm. a couple seasons. Just knowing where you're going. I want to end up at a very precise place. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be... Uh, I want to be courted and I want mm-hmm. it to be on purpose uh, right. and, and it can't just be on a whim or isn't this interesting or I mean, there's some time and place for that for sure. But I have such an amazing respect and the things that really stick with me that I carry forth are the ones that I know really took the time to yeah. do it by design. Well, and what's odd, what's odd about this is and like, can you name another show within this timeline that is a kid's show? Like every kid's show does not adhere to this principle because the point is it's a nonlinear sitcom that just meanders and you can put any episode from any season up and kids know, hey, this is Hey Arnold or this is SpongeBob right. or this is Jimmy <laughs> Neutron. And it's like, you know, it doesn't have to. But that's so bizarre that it's like, well, if you missed last Friday's, you have missed a huge piece, even though it's only 20 minutes of like where the characters are, why they are, yeah. what's happening, why this yeah. person now is doesn't maybe this person's gone, like all of that is extremely bizarre, especially in 2005 when this came out on kids programming. Right. To have right. that be the premise of the show and that it is tight and three seasons and we're done and we're never coming back to this ever again because there's nothing else to say with it. I mean, so that, and, it's, yeah. and it's so funny because it even tries to like, it tries to pretend it's uh, one of those shows, right? Like every other show in Nickelodeon mm-hmm. that you can just jump into. It tries to pretend it is like that, <laughs> but it really down down to it, you have got to be following along. And it's so funny because as a writer, as a creator, I'm like, wow, this is so different even. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for it to be fitting in on the Nickelodeon schedule, it's like it's like lulling you into it. It's lulling you into so much about what it wanted to do different on that network. Mm-hmm. One of the elements of the story, the bending stuff, so fighting with the elements became one of their <laughs> principal containers to put all the information in. Brian actually went to martial arts classes. He said all different strip malls and dojos to try and learn about it. Because right. obviously you know about it, you can see it, but you have to kind of understand it. And because it's animation, he's like, we're, we, we had thought, because obviously certain styles, it, does, it doesn't translate. We need big swooping motions, all of that stuff. Right. So he ends up in this guy's backyard in LA with a small group of students. Kisu is the name of the instructor. And of course, he knew why Brian was there. He had gone to a couple of sessions, but then he just asks him, hey, what do you think about this? We're doing this animated show. And mm. this guy, he said, well here's what I think. If you have these different elements, this is what style, and there's four distinct fighting styles for each of the elements, which Brian only knew about one of them. And he thought it would just encompass the whole show. So this guy came up with that idea for it representing these different elements. And then they brought him on and he was the full-time fighting consultant. And when they would need to fight, he would come in and they would do fighting sessions where they would videotape it and then use it for the animators. I think this is ultimately why why it works. This is such a huge element here. The differences between these cultures, between these fighting styles, watching it on the screen is palpable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you get a sense of an earthbender is like rooting themselves into the ground. The movements are entirely different than somebody who's playing with, yeah. uh, that is bending water. Uh, mm-hmm. And giving it a real uh, depth between these cultures, between these bending styles, if it was all the same, it would it would instantly feel less authentic. 
it yeah. would not feel what it I wouldn't just, feel yeah. like you get you get a physicality from it you get you get the real sense of moving these elements around mm-hmm. with these motions it's such a subtle element but i i, I it can't be understated how much of a uh, a mm-hmm. huge player that is. Well, and I just love that it came from this guy who does martial arts in his backyard. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that what they were saying was it, that actually that premise helped inform the nations and the cultures within them. This huge Look at that. See, and, and, and I'm just kind of inferring that, but I, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that that ripples out. So the last thing in terms of the container is like we said it is a kids show and Part of being on Nickelodeon is that it is aimed at younger audiences. And they said in terms of creating and understanding that, they said, you just think about what you liked as kids. They said, how cool would it be to bend the elements? Like it just starts from that. And then who hasn't been in the shower just trying to like direct the water water, off your arm, you know, (laughs) exactly. or pretend you can fly when you jump off the swing set, you know, it's it's (laughs) all of that. So then they said, well, then you let the adult mind create the complex world and characters and all of that stuff. Mm. And there is also a huge sense of humility because they cited The Iron Giant as a film that should have been a mega hit by by Brad Bird, who then worked at Pixar. But it wasn't a huge hit. So they were like, we're just trying to enjoy the process and not worry about how it's received. He said the biggest goal was to finish the story. It would be a shame if it got cut short before we got to share the ending. Oh, my gosh. And then that's the big part of it for kids is that they worked on crafting it with the empathy that respects also the intelligence of an 11-year-old. And just for our audience, sorry if you know all this stuff, but some examples of these things, it shows children being brainwashed in school. There's inequalities in various ringed walls of the particular city. One episode is a small town poisoned by a factory. It's showing how war impacts intergenerational trauma from Mm -hmm. one family to the next. And then also the problems with blind revenge because of that, if you try to go against the aggressors. I mean, I believe it tackles sexism in 30 seconds Mm -hmm. uh, in the the opening, to be honest. Yeah, Uh, the female female characters, it it constantly – pushes the fact and they said we thought there weren't enough powerful awesome female characters in cartoons mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. everything about it is and the villain as well is misunderstood it's it's less that he's evil like right. in every other cartoon but it's that he wants to prove people wrong specifically his father which is like that's exactly what most people in life still have familiar Zuko's issues. arc is one of the yeah. most fulfilling pieces of the entire thing and and, and, it's, and it's so interesting how he comes in to play such a piece of a such a satisfying ending mm-hmm. um and and I can't I almost can't think of something uh this big this restrained that has an ending that is that palatable I don't think there's anybody that dislikes the ending to this thing yeah uh, <laughs> well, and what's crazy about it, and uh, we've already this is the whole point of this se- section, is that it is a kid's show. And the fact that they were able to construct it so that the emotion comes from oppression and fear rather than right. visual violence, rather than somebody stomping somebody's head into a pool. Right, 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 right. All of the stuff I just mentioned potentially has nothing to do with physical violence in your face. Yeah, and, and, and the, now that I think about it, any time that the violence is played up, there's almost always a comedic key to it instead mm. of a horrible, like, oh my God, that was painful or they're, they're, they're hurt kind of moment. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very particular in how it ed, you know ed, smooths out these edges. And the ultimate thematic point to all of this would be empathizing with others. So in a rare feat, almost every character is given a redemption arc, meaning they have a chance to prove their strength. Even the villains have the opportunity, which is a 
odd thing to show in a kid's show. It's usually very much in the Harry Potter sense, like bad is bad and good is good. And Draco <laughs> Malfoy is always, gonna be, you know, we like don't this, explain it. The Empire bad, Jedi good. <laughs> right. And this kind of show in the show, it shows that the true villains are those who refuse to show empathy and humanity yeah. and they refuse to understand the plight of their victims. But you can be redeemed if you, you do those it. things. Yeah. 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 So those are all the elements they're going for. I know it's a lot, but now how do you make that full and rich? Because it sounds all great on paper. And <laughs> this part is particularly what it's known for, what it revolutionized, and really what can't be duplicated anymore. The cultural influences, as I said, they, they were told from Nickelodeon, we want legends and lore, we want Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They're like, well, we're interested and we love Japanese anime, Hong Kong, Kung Fu cinema, yoga, Eastern philosophies, all mm -hmm. of the stuff that isn't British white wizards with pointy hats. Yeah. There are already those two things that exist. We're not going to do that again for the third time for Nickelodeon. Yeah. And here's the stuff that we love. We want to connect it all, but without being disrespectful or send the wrong messages. So like I said, this show is a mixture of Chinese, East Asian, South Asian, Indian, Mesoamerican, Inuit cultures. Gosh, it would seem like a mess, but it works and is totally unique because of all of the other people that they added on to it and all of the things they pull from. So, for example, they hired this guy, Edwin Zane, who works for the Media Action Network for Asian Americans and just helping piece all these things together and explain. So, for example, a lot of the early Fire Nation designs, which are the de facto antagonists at the beginning, are were inspired by Japan. But. They were saying that if you have a bad nation in this show for 11-year-olds and it's all based on Japanese as opposed to Korean or Inuit or other stuff, you project a poor message about the culture, specifically right. just to Japan. Right. So everything is broadly inspired. Everything has a piece of something else in it. So it's not entirely, oh, I can pin it to this one thing. There's no indictment. <laughs> against right. a, a, a people you know right. like exactly. that, that is not how it, how sides are viewed in this thing and it, and that's such an important element when you're talking about really i mean it, if you want to do a, a really well-rounded out piece but especially something for kids that they can grasp mm -hmm. so there's a lot of videos and articles examining every single thing that they pull from but i just wanted to bring up some key specifically oh, literary please, yeah. literary stuff and then historical things and just the ones that i thought were interesting so from the writing standpoint, starting off with The Hero's Journey, which was written by Joseph Campbell in 1949, there the concept that is. His famous book is Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's the archetypical hero shared by all right. world mythologies. He calls it the monomyth. So that transcends every culture. Every culture has this type of story. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in this, I would really- Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Star Wars, every, Lord of the Harry Potter, all of that stuff. So that's where they draw from for this as well. And even the series trilogy sense follows like Star Wars, A New Hope, Empire Strikes, Return of the Jedi. It's very yes, similar it does for Avatar. <laughs> it is very much that, but it works. Um, there is a really good interview with the guy who is a genius as, to all this comparative mythology, Joseph Campbell, and it's called The Power of Myth. Um, oh. It came out on PBS. I'll post a link to the, to the interview series yeah. if that's something that you're interested in. As far as the actual title of the thing in terms of writing, Avatar is a Sanskrit word which means descent. So in Hindu traditions, deities would manifest themselves on earth to restore balance during a period of great evil, which oh. is very much what this is. 
And so, wow. Yeah. So why is James Cameron's avatar called the avatar? <laughs> because it's just somebody taking another body. Yeah, it's come to mean other things, but this is literally what in the Hindu tradition that meant. So wow, this, that's awesome. Yeah, the scenes where Aang speaks to his past lives actually comes from a probably the most well-known Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. And ah. this is a story about this prince who is discussing his moral dilemma and despair in regards to this war and this evil that's happening with the god Krishna, who is Krishna is the person who is the eighth avatar of the god Vishnu on earth. Ah. So that, that's kind of the, the setting for a lot of what Aang is going through. Oh, fascinating. For this Hindu tradition. And then in Japan... There was just, a, yeah. while we're rattling these off, just for any creatives out there. I mean, most people, and it's almost peculiar that we're doing it on the show because we typically do things that are singular source materials. People would say this is a totally original piece. Yes, it is, but it is made up of real life. Mm -hmm. uh, it is pulled from real life, so don't discount things when you if you uh, you can pull from anything and seventy five things. It's a, yeah. everything that makes it richer that makes it more detailed that makes it more relatable as as we continue on this list listen to everything they didn't just pull out of thin air you know <laughs> yeah just uh, read I just, uh, yeah. some hopeful reassurance maybe for anybody <laughs> out there that, that feels overwhelmed that they can never do something like this mm -hmm. so the last big piece of writing which it maybe is the crux of this whole thing in japan there was a samurai warrior miyamoto musashi and he wrote military books on strategy as it relates to samurais five of them he wrote were specifically on types of strategy in the martial arts, and it was called the Book of Five Rings. And it was hmm. relating different aspects of battle to different elements. So the five different books are earth, water, fire, wind, and then nothing is the other one. And using oh. those elements as an allegory for different strategies and tactics on Whoa, the So could you imagine if you just came up with the idea of using elements as like a way to you know fight right. during, in yoga class, and then you <laughs> go with your, and then you get paid by Nickelodeon, and then you go and you got to develop all the things and then you find a book taught like in the 1100s yeah how how the how the how the elements directly relate to to warfare mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so i wanted to bring up speaking of the elements that there was that fifth one nothing yeah there are the 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 four primary elements are actually a staple feature of a lot of cultures indian japanese greek tibetan but there is usually a fifth element ether space the void or in the case of musashi nothing and that, I wouldn't spoil anything, but that comes in as kind of the hidden. Mm. Um, some of the, moving on to kind of real world stuff, as opposed to the writing, some of the belief systems are also reflected in the characters in the story. So Taoism is the big one as a harmonious living with nature, which some people would say Uncle oh, Iroh yes. is very much the reflection of that. Yes. The Fire Nation represents a certain side of Confucianism, which is the reverence for one's ancestors, potentially to your detriment. Mm -hmm. The reverence of community is also a part of that, though, which maybe is more represented in the water tribe, or mm -hmm. particularly the Inuit culture, which is what that tribe symbolizes as well. And then Buddhism, of course, fits perhaps more with the air nomads. All life is sacred, reincarnation of spiritual leaders, including the Dalai Lamas. And there is even a direct connection to the Dalai Lama. So in the legend of Korra, Aang's young son has the first name of the current Dalai Lama, Tenzin, and then Aang's mentor has the last name of the current Dalai Lama, Gyatso. Ah, yes. Just I found a couple historical 
things mm-hmm. that were interesting. So yeah. the Dai Li, the secret police, um, yeah. the name was actually taken from the real life spy master head of secret police in China during the first half of the 20th century. That oh, was his really? name. And then it became the name of the secret police in Avatar. Oh, man. They pulled that. And then the Fire Nation, you could argue, was potentially modeled after, in real historical context, Japan's rapid industrialization during the Meiji Restoration, which happened in 1868. Oh, and then it's, it's when they were switching from the shogunate to imperialism and militarism. Right. So you could say that potentially that is a part of history that most people don't in the Western world focus. Yeah. On, and then especially yeah. between the two series, you'll see that time, that time uh, frame really present. I mean, it's one of the biggest thing that sticks out about the differences between the two, because uh, Avatar, the last Airbender, it's happening in the past of far away. It's much more nature focused. And then uh, legend of Korra happens 80 years later, an entire generation later, and things are starting to industrialize and wow. civilize and cities, real cities closer to as we know them are starting to get built. There are machines. Now there are cars, um, so you start to see that that shift and they try to without saying where it is uh, what time it is it's like it's got this this very early 1900s feel mm. as if we had been going through uh the the 1800s before without really being specific about yeah that. yeah very much playing on its own rules and its own aesthetic which i mean is just you can't ask for anything more than than something that has really just original character it just has its own flavor <laughs> yeah yeah so now speaking of that so we go on to of course they had comics and some young adult novels and video games but the legend of Korra came out in 2012 which was now just released to netflix but some of the reasons for it i just saw in an interview he was like well the economy crashed likening <laughs> to like we needed another job but truly they they had tried some feature scripts they were working on other things and they're like well we we, we just want to do a mini series we don't want to do another thing with this mm. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the, the big thing is, is that it's a female lead, but they were saying that for them, it wasn't a struggle at all. They're just like, what if it's a girl? Because the, the context being natural. jumps a lifetime ahead. Cause they're like, we're done. That's the whole point. We did the three part series. It's over. But, but the avatar focus it, on the next avatar, the next avatar. Aang, so that, yeah. it, that intrinsically means Aang is gone, right? It's <laughs> a whole lifetime away. Yeah. So, and then they were like, well, it was a boy last time. Probably would be a girl next. Time. Like there's nothing <laughs> to it. It was like not an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh it is intrinsic to it but it is that now obviously is huge and is regarded for its increase in awareness and merging of cultures and all the things that the first one did so well equally and again well. it, and this team starting out in 2008 going into 2012 the, at this time and they're, they're willing to try these things mm-hmm. I and mean, that's no other show was no other show was 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 hardly. I mean, especially in this class, pushing these issues without even trying. It just is naturally setting an example. And I can't point to something even comparable in that sense. Something that that is really that progressive. Uh, and I think what you're saying, as far as why it is also resonating, is because it it wasn't wasn't trying to tackle sexism in the first thirty seconds. No, it just did. Like that's just a part of the story. No, there's character nothing. Is a girl. Yeah, and there's just nothing. There's nothing to- about it that feels like forced or like they're they are they want to talk about this thing, but they're they're talking about things that actually matter to people. They're talking mm-hmm. about feelings, um, and so if we're going to empathize with a girl, let's get to know a girl. Uh, you <laughs> right. know, if we're going to empathize with an airbender, well, what are the what are the complicated what okay, what are the limitations of that? What does that close you off for? Like, it's really about just getting on the on the characters' level and seeing it from their perspective, mm-hmm. and the rest will just happen naturally. Uh, <laughs> you'll find that otherwise you'll you know that, that 
You'll find so, some yeah. holes in your character. Well, that here, won't happen, here, but. here we come to the troubling parts, the holes in the characters, not related to the, these creators. But in between, immediately after the series ended in 2008, there was this film adaptation that came out in 2010 because the, the rights got brought to make it into a live action thing. 5% on the ratings, not a typo, uh, widely considered one of the worst films of the 21st century. But basically, from what I could tell from what they were wanting to talk about it with, they said, one, first, they did not want it to be done. So that's just <laughs> number one. Yeah. Like, they did not want to do this. And then number two, if it was going to be done, let them do it. But then they wouldn't right. They wouldn't let them do it. So then number three, well, fine, we'll just offer help when it's asked. And they said, we gave input, but it went nowhere. It was, it was just, in general, a wasted opportunity. Although they said they still learned a lot and met a lot of people. They actually got their new agent from that experience. So it's like, whatever you can glean from it. But Right. I just thought it was hilarious in the sense that at the end of this interview, they said, quote, it's not the first time something has horribly been adapted in Hollywood and it won't be the last. And then they said it might even happen to us again. So uh -oh. <laughs> so that is an uh -oh. odd uh, prescience because the new news, which we've talked about at the beginning in regards oh my gosh. to what's happening with Netflix, Netflix announced in 2018 a live action remake. And what was different is that Mike and Brian were on as the showrunners and locked and loaded baby it was a very public go. promise we're going to support their vision it's going to be them and we and want this them is to make by a big uh, licensing rollout of tons of merchandise and uh, obviously they made these licensing agreements to get these things back into the public eye if you go into hot topic or box right. lunch or the mall these days you're going to see avatar uh, merchandise you would not have seen that in this is 12 years ago 2017 yeah. exactly so all of a sudden this stuff just pops up on the market in 2018 because of this big deal and they're priming the audience because eventually Netflix wants to get to this big deal mm -hmm. adaptation of the original series with the original creators helming it. I mean, I was pretty excited. <laughs> but uh, the fan base just, is pretty just, excited. But just this last week, alongside the Legend of Korra being out, I they think, announced that they had two days. Yeah. <laughs> they had parted with Netflix due to creative differences. They said they had a very public promise to support their vision, and obviously they were not. But I, I wanted to, I guess, make sense of it in the way that like, it's not a matter of them not getting their way, because hopefully, if you can see from all of this, they're very collaborative people who took ideas from everywhere. Right. It's not like they're these angry Stanley Kubrick, it has to be this way. Mind the garden and it only comes from me. It's like these yeah. are people who are pulling from everywhere. Yeah. Any, and adding people. somebody else's point of view, it's mm -hmm. these guys. <laughs> yeah. And so they were just like, well, we were not guiding the direction anymore. That was our job. That's why we were brought on is to guide it. And then suddenly we were not guiding it and we just can't do it. Obviously, there's probably a million other things similar from to the what other I one. can glean. And the, you know, this is hearsay, but when I can, can glean, it lands somewhere in the casting department. There's something to be said there. I've also heard conflict with China and and and, and the references to the Tibetan culture. There's a oh, there's yeah. kind of a rumor there, uh, but nobody knows for sure. And and this is going to be a developing story. I, I think as big as the fan base for this is, I think everybody was so excited to have Michael and Brian helming this thing, uh, and to have it all fall apart again. It might not be over. I'm hoping that. Right. But just getting to the kind of crux of this whole thing, like, can things be adapted? Should they just make something else? And kind of what I see as like the difference in Netflix's intentions right. versus Nickelodeon in 2002, 
I just don't see how Netflix can move forward. There, do something else. Start. You already made Stranger Things. Invest in a new idea. Go find a new property. You're doing it all the time. Like, uh, this does not need another dime store knockoff. This it, it, either Michael and Brian need to be involved at the helm of this thing, or it does not need to happen. Yeah, it's just a fascinating case as I looked into it of this thing that is an adaptation of a million other things now having a struggle of can it be adapted into something else well but what do you you know as our audience please let us know what you think can somebody else do this i mean do you want another version of this from from somebody not michael and brian i mean is that i don't know i i, right. I don't know i'm not a, i'm not a diehard fan of the show from the original well we'll see let us know what you would like to see yeah reach out to us uh, at illiterate pod on instagram as always, let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching. What are you excited for? What's coming out? Thank you guys so much. Uh, and we will catch you next week. 